Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. Good morning. How we doing? A little flat. Better hope I have more energy than you guys. Now we'll finish on a somber song. Thanks, Joe, for leading us. Um, we are in the middle of all in. Who's all in? Hey, put your poker chip out there. Good. Where Jesus is answering, you know, how do you live life with God? What's most important? To love God with everything um, that we have and everything that you are. That's the call. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, I came across a meme on social media on Instagram. And Jason, if you'd put that up there, it gave me a really a LOL, a laugh out loud moment. And it says, Jesus. So Jesus is saying this. Love God, love others. The entire law can be summed up with these two commands. And then there's a picture of Steve Carell with the words that says, I'm going to make this way harder than it needs to be. Right? Can I get an amen? God says, hey, just love me with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to make this way harder than it is. As I've worked through this um, series, I have to confess, I, you know, I'm trying to love God with everything I got, with my heart, with my soul, with my strength, and today we're talking about loving God with our mind. And in some senses, it's not that complicated, but we make it that way. You know, we find ways around it, or we have questions that, uh, you know, stumble us, trip us up, and I just love the honesty of that, of that meme. It spoke to me that we can make it harder than it needs to be. I mean, certainly it's too hard to do on our own, but with God's help, everything is possible, and he's called us to love him with everything we've got. Well, earlier this week, uh, I think it was on Thursday, I got an email from Norma Gintert, and she said, you know, I'd, I was with her earlier in the day, and then she'd gone on a drive with uh, her and Roger um, along the coast, and they said, Danny, the waves are big. They look great. Were you out there? And I'm like, no, I'm stuck in the office. And then later that night, I had dinner with the O'Harans, and um, we were out on the wharf, and we could see these great waves just coming in, and there was a million people out there. And again, I wasn't out there, but I was enjoying a really fun meal with these guys. So what do you think I did the next morning? So go ahead and put up that next picture. This was not the other day because the clouds were there. This was a couple years ago. An actual picture. Jason asked if it was Photoshop. I'm like, nope. <clears throat> And so I woke up in the dark on Friday morning. I'm just kind of like, I got to get out there. And so I grabbed my stuff and, uh, and packed up my truck and drove down to the uh, lighthouse, one of the places I love to surf, um, when the waves are big. It's a really, actually a really good place when the waves are typically bigger there. And then I put up this picture because it's, it illustrates a point that I'm going to make about when you surf at the lighthouse when the waves are big. So this is looking at its beach, you know, the beach um, where all the dogs run around. And so you don't surf there, by the way. Never surf there. You will have a bad experience. 
Um, anyways, but you jump, you, you, you put on your wetsuit and grab your board and leash and all that stuff, and I grabbed a bigger board for big waves. In fact, it was so big, guys, literally an older guy parked next to me, looked at the waves, got in his car, and left. He did come back. He came back with a 10-foot monster gun, a giant board for catching big waves. And I'm like, good for you. Anyways, so you, you park here, and you jump over the fence where the people are that says, don't go over this fence. And, uh, and then you walk out to the edge of that point. You've seen surfers do this before, certainly on smaller days. And on a giant day like this, again, it wasn't this big, but waves were certainly washing over the front of the cliff. You walk out near the edge of the cliff, and you stop, and you look out at the ocean. And if you see a set of waves coming, like every five or ten minutes, extra big waves will come. If you see a couple giant ones coming, guess what you don't do? You don't walk to the edge of the cliff, because that will kill you. You know, you stay back here with the people in the fence that said, don't climb over this, okay? So you wait, you wait, and you see a little bit of a calm, and then you scramble down. You know, it's actually wet and slippery, so you really get down there carefully, and then you jump off the point of the cliff, and you can paddle out. There's a, that rock just out of the picture. You know, there's a seal rock out there. You get out about that far, and the water's so deep that waves will not break out there. So even though this sounds scary, which it is, if you don't know how to surf, or if you, certainly if you don't know how to swim, do not do that. But an experienced surfer, you can jump off of that when you wait for a lull between the waves, and then paddle out a little bit kind of towards that seal rock, and you'll be completely safe. No, the waves, it's too deep for the wave to break there, right? So even though this, look, that is terrifying, it is one of the safest places to ride big waves. Right here in our own town, just jump off the point, paddle out to deeper water, and then wait till you want to catch a wave, and then paddle in a little bit where the waves break, and ride a couple waves. So I had this experience. I did, um, I waited, timed it, timed it, waited, and jumped off. And I was even surprised. They were bigger than I thought they would be. And I'm out there surfing for, I don't know, 45 minutes. And this uh, couple guys that I knew, older guys, paddled up to me, right? I was right near, I was basically on the other side of that point, catching some waves. And these guys paddled up to me. They say, older guys, they were dads too. And they said, did you see that kid? I'm like, what? He's like, did you see what that kid did? I'm like, no, what, what happened? He's like, what a fool. He just walked down and a giant wave was washing. I thought the guy was going to die and he jumped up and over the wave and he didn't die. He made it. Some, I don't know how he made it. And they were just like, that was unbelievable. And I said, I surf here because it's safer. He made it more dangerous doing that. And so the difference between the college age kid, maybe he was a, maybe he was a new UCSC student and hasn't learned the particulars about this break, but he survived. Um, the difference is, these older guys, and I guess myself included, we have some knowledge from doing this a bunch of times and wisdom knowing that if you go at the wrong time, bad things happen. You know, we've seen that. And that younger guy didn't know that, and he wasn't mauled. Um, he for fortunately lived, and he probably had some knowledge, but he clearly didn't have wisdom. And I'm going to read a little paragraph from a book called Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul, and uh, a very good book on this book message we're looking at today, but here's what he has to say. The Old Testament distinguishes between wisdom and knowledge. We're commanded to acquire knowledge, but more to acquire wisdom. Knowledge is necessary if wisdom is to be gained, but it's not identical with wisdom. One can have knowledge without wisdom, but one cannot have wisdom without having knowledge. A person without knowledge is ignorant. A person without wisdom is deemed a fool. And that's what those dads were kind of screaming at me is saying that 
that younger guy was a fool. He, he really put himself in a bad spot, just kind of walked down the cliff and thought everything was fine without stopping, getting perspective, which is wisdom. Uh, wisdom, you know, think of this like, I'm going to stand up a little higher. Or like when you fly in a jet plane, you look down at your town, you have perspective, a better perspective. And so we're going to be talking about some of that this morning. But as we look at um, loving God with our minds, we don't want to be ignorant. We don't want to be foolish. So uh, pray with me as we launch into our, our uh, teaching this morning. God, that is our desire. We don't want to be ignorant without knowledge. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to live in such a way that uh, troubles before us that could be avoided if we were wise. We confess without you, without your word, we are ignorant and we are foolish. Um, But you provide all we need. May we receive it. And would you teach us today, teach us tomorrow, teach us the next day to live wisely. Amen. So, um, a special issue before we dive into this, no video this morning, oh, Bible Project video, because they did them on the Shema, and they talked about how to love God with your heart, your soul, and your strength, and we learned what those words really, really mean in Hebrew, and the last one, loving God with your strength, wasn't really strength at all, it's certainly part of it, but it was like, love God with your muchness, with, your, with everything, right? And then we look at the Gospels, um, and Jesus and the uh, scribes, as they're talking about this passage, they include the word mind. All the gospel passages say, love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you kind of go, what's that about? It's a good thing we have a Bible translator here. Brian and I were talking about, what did you call it, dynamic equivalence? So this thing called dynamic equivalence, so if you want to know more about this, especially if I screw it up, go talk to Brian. He's translating the Bible, and he's involving we had, a, you know, I said we had dinner with them, and he's talking to Maria and I about this, and Maria's like, well, why do, you gotta have to do, why do you have to do it in English if you're using Russian and Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, and what's the biz, the other language? All these languages, does something get lost in translation? Yes. And then let alone cultures. Cultures have different concepts. You know, that we're talking about the Hebrew culture of strength. Well, we, want it, we think it's power, and they're saying it's your muchness. And so when it comes to getting this across, why does it say something additional or different in the New Testament as the Old Testament? Well, really, it's actually saying the same thing. It's using different languages and approaching different cultures. And the Hebrews didn't conceive of not loving God with your mind. That was included in these other things they said. But they wanted to point out, certainly to a Greek mind that cares a ton about separating the mind out of the person, that we address that, oh, you love God with your mind too. And so like when they're translating stuff, they have to make decisions. They have to talk to the people in the culture. They have to look at the peculiarities of language. Sometimes the language doesn't have a word for what this language has a word for. So then what do you do? You have to make your best best guess to get a dynamic equivalent. We want to give what is the heart of what the passage is saying. So that's what's going. We have an actual live example this morning, not a coincidence that you guys are here to help us get out of this riddle. So how do we love God with our whole mind? In Romans, um, I'm surprised how many times this, this passage comes up as we're looking at loving God with everything, but I'm going to read it again. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, pressed into a mold to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of, I need a renewed mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're talking about renewing the mind, and the best way for our minds to be renewed that God uses is Scripture. And so I want us to look back, and if you would, turn with me. This was a neat discovery that uh, I, I saw this week. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. It's page 192 in your pew Bibles. And we're looking at that, uh, that piece of Scripture, the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, at page 192. I'll read the first uh, verses before verse 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. We all know that. We've been reading it. We've been seeing it in the videos. And, and remember, I, I pointed out, it doesn't say mind there next. But look at the, con- you always look at context when you look at Scripture. The next verses, guess what they're all about? Using your mind to love God. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. How do you get them on your heart? You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You shall put them on a poker chip (laughs) I added that. (laughs) Don't strike me. (laughs) So it doesn't say love God with all your mind, but it tells us to behave that way. Do everything within your power. Be as creative as you can. Be as disciplined as you can. Do this all the time. Get Get God's word into your head so it can penetrate your heart. Right? That's what's going on here. Get this stuff in. And so how do we get things into our head? Talk about it when you lie down. Talk about it when you walk somewhere. Stamp it on your doorpost. Put it on your head. Put it on, you know, put it on a poker chip. Yes, that's a, a, a legitimate way to learn Scripture, to get us to get it into our head. That's the whole point why we're doing this. It's like, okay, I want to get this knowledge in here because we want it to become wisdom, right? We want it to get wisdom as a way to live out the way God's called us to live. That's what's going on here. So that's a picture. And I was, I was delighted to say, well, you know, actually it is talking about the mind here. It's behaviorally addressing that fact. So at all costs, using discipline, let these truths get into your mind to penetrate your heart. Then the next passage, we're just going to look at two main passages today, is in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, verses 14 to 17. And that's page 1269, uh, 1269. And Paul is talking to Timothy, a younger guy, um, saying, hey, this is what's important. He's a young pastor, and he's saying, get these things right. And I think I got six different things that stand out with regards to loving God with your mind. In this passage alone, I'll say this, as I've done this series on loving God with your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, there's a part of me, a little voice in my head that's, that knows there are so many passages in the Bible that talk about loving God with your mind, and I feel like, oh, 
I'm not teaching on this one. Oh, I got to teach on this one. So there's a, a conflicted part of me that's just picking a couple passages because I want us to focus and get this. But I know there's a lot more that would um, really illustrate what God's trying to teach us. Um, but we wouldn't want to be here for six hours. So we'll be here for a sermon length. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. I'll read through the passage and then I'm just going to pick out phrases and help us understand what they mean. But as for you, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing, that, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. <clears throat> First phrase up in verse 14, continue. That's an ongoing thing. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. There's a... Um, a camp up at Mount Hermon called Redwood Camp. It's their very first camp that they had, and it's for uh, kids that go to this camp. And they have a, um, I don't know if they still, I think they still do, a big giant, um, I don't know, like you drive your car under it. What would that be called? Like a big wooden sign. There's a name for it. It escapes me. And it's, it, so when you come into camp, you don't see it. But when you leave camp, it has this Bible verse, continue in what you've learned. So these kids go to camp, they learn a ton about God, and the charge is to not just be satisfied with doing this one week out of the year, right? This is to spark you, to, to urge you to continue on in what you learn. And that's what's going on here is Paul saying, hey, keep at it. This is an ongoing thing. This isn't something, we don't read our Bible or study a passage and then just say, oh, okay, I got it. I did that and be done with it. It's like eating. I already ate one time in my life. That's good enough. You've got to eat ongoing. You know, you, you need to drink water ongoing. Um, in fact, if you talk with anybody, this is, uh, and, and we have folks like this in our church, that um, they're older folks, and they study the Bible now more than ever. And they're just delighted with the Word. You come across someone like this, and they say, oh my gosh, it's like they're on some kind of exploration journey, and they're continuing to find more and more in the Scripture. You know, I read this verse, I can't believe what it says. I, I missed it all these years. It's not a guilt thing, it's a, it's a fascination to excite because the word of God is alive. We want to continue. It's an ongoing thing. So that's the first thing is continue. I get all worked up just on that one alone. Sacred writings. Sacred writings. So this is, um, Paul's talking about the Bible. You can get knowledge. So if you can get Knowledge, you, you can read this and learn from You get knowledge that leads to wisdom. What kind of wisdom? The best, the ultimate kind of wisdom, which is salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the, if, you wanna, if you're one of those kind of people that's, I'm a bottom line person, just give me the facts, give me the final facts. Read this so you can know God in such a way that he'll redeem you, Right? Understand this, get the content so that it'll penetrate your heart and you'll say yes to God. It's the wisest thing. It's the best perspective thing you can get. And that's what you'll get from the Bible. The information is there to give you God's perspective on living life. In fact, remember that I told you that about the young surfer that jumped off the cliff at the wrong time. He had a little bit of knowledge. He had no wisdom in that situation. That's just surfing. You know, You've heard me before. I love surfing. It's so much fun. And I, I just know that um, 
So many people have actually tried to learn this and they have terrible experience. Who cares about surfing, right? Apply this to, to knowing God. People have tried to study the Bible or, or maybe they haven't even tried it or they don't even know and they're trying to live life without God's wisdom. And then you see that picture, that giant wave, they're experiencing the terrors of being smashed in life's trials without the peace of God. I mean, I know this, I can testify, I've been through really, really hard stuff with the Lord, and life is hard, life is hard for all of us, but with the Lord, there's, there's a sense like, it's, you're going to be okay. There's not a terror, there's, there's difficulty, and it's very hard and very sad, but there's not a, like when it comes to grief, there's a bottom to it, it's not bottomless, you know, it's not ultimate fear. Life without the scriptures um, leads to terror, versus life with the scriptures, with God teaching you. Here's, it's God's perspective. Here's how life is. Here's who I am. Here's what I'll do for you. Here's who I am. That leads to joy. All scripture is inspired by God. I remember this in one of my Bible classes in college where the teacher said this word, theopneustos, and I never forgot that word. I don't know why. It's a Greek word. It means God-breathed or God-inspired. We talk about, in fact, I read this this week, this, this uh, one scholar said, we shouldn't call the Bible inspired, which it is, it's the inspired word, we should call it expired, God breathed it out, <sighs> inspiration is breathing in, expiration, I said, well, he makes a point, I don't want an expired Bible though, do you? <laughs> it's current, it's... God breathed, now God certainly used people to write it. There's a perspective and a culture and all that's in there. But the bottom line when it comes to God-inspired, and everybody, get, if, if you get one thing today, the Bible is from God. The Bible is from God. If you really sit and think about that, and there's, there's information, it's a study, it's a, you can wrestle with that, but the bottom line is the Bible is, is from God. It's a gift to us. He went to a lot of trouble to give it to us meaning to keep it accurate that many centuries, hand it down to people. It's amazing. I, again, I could talk on and on about the authority of Scripture and how grateful we are for it. Um, but Scripture is breathed out by God. It's from God. It's profitable for teaching. Where would you find out who Jesus is? Where do we find the answer to the most important questions? We're wrestling with that in this series. What's the most important thing about life? How do I get eternal life? Loving God with everything. Profitable for teaching. I was at a dinner party on Friday night, and I was seated next to a retired pastor, neat, neat older guy. Um, Sam Talbert also went to Biola, and I mean, many, many years ago. And uh, and we're talking back and forth, and he actually grew up in Bernie, up near Mount Shasta, where we vacationed. And so we, we had a great time together. I've, I've known him for a little while now. And then he leans over to me and he says, hey, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I, so I just told him. I gave him a real quick synopsis of this. And Maria was sitting right next to me and he leans over and he says, it's so good that you're teaching the Bible. And you know, like with older wise eyes, and I'm like, thank you? <laughs> and Maria, love Maria, She's so sweet. She's like, what else would he have to say? <laughs> and it's true. It's true. I don't know what I would preach on except from what God's word is. Now I'll tell stories to illustrate God's word and I'll share 
if we have a good time. But the bottom line is my job as pastor is to say, here's God's word, here's God's food for you, is to clarify it, to encourage you, to challenge you. That's the point. And, and while Maria was you know, joking and we were laughing, but I literally turned to him again, I said, I don't know what I would say. I'm not that entertaining. I don't have that many good stories. I don't know what I would do. And then I paused this morning as I was preparing. I said, I am so grateful to be at a church that cares about God's word. Can you imagine if I'm here trying to teach the word, and you're like, would you just tell us some funny stories or tell us six habits that, you know, I'm like, well, you got the wrong guy, right? So I'm grateful to be here at a place that values God's word and encourages me to preach it. It's for number five, number uh, five is for reproof, correction, and training. One of the things that I've noticed as we've done this series is I do a lot of confessing with this little chip. It's to encourage me to go forward and, and, and love God, but a lot of times I'm like, oh, shoot. You know, I, I touch it at just the wrong times when I'm not doing that. Like, ah, confession's good. It aligns us with God. It says, I'm off track, so, and God's got enough grace to handle it. He already knows, like Linda was praying, he knows what's going on. Regular confession gets us back on track because we wander. You want to be adequate and equipped that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. I mentioned dinner with the O'Harans, and one of the things that I noticed about the two of them, you know, again, we're, we're at the wharf, we're looking at these waves, and so surfing is coming up. I've talked about surfing a lot this morning. I'm sorry. They ask so many good questions about surfing that most people don't ask. I was kind of like, how would you know to ask that question? You know, that's a mistake we usually make, and then we find out the hard way. They just were asking all these interesting questions. And it's been my experience, as I talk to people about surfing, that most people have had a bad experience in the ocean or trying to learn how to surf. Most everybody. Because they were at the wrong place, at the wrong type, time with the wrong equipment, and they didn't have someone showing them what to do. They've had a bad experience. It's just a fact. And I'm thinking about that. That is really similar to people trying to understand how to enjoy life with God. They, they didn't get any help. They don't understand. And so they have a bad experience, perhaps, because they just don't know. They're not adequately equipped. And that's really our job, is to present the good news in our words to people, but also in our lives. Because as fun as surfing is, it's just a little pastime, it's a little sport, but life, life lived with God, um, equipped the right way to understand how to live with God, to knowing who God is and what he wants and what he requires of us, makes all the difference, and we get that from scripture. So a few challenges that we have when it comes to scripture and getting it from here into our heads and into our hearts and into our lives. Here's a couple things, and actually there's a ton of them. I'll just list three. (laughs) First one is you'll hear, um, I don't get the Bible. I don't understand it. Or it's boring. You know what my answer is? Yeah. Sometimes it is. Some, Some of those genealogies can be really tedious to read through. Some of the pieces... I don't understand. I need help. But you know what? Again, I read this this week from someone. He said, if you can read the newspaper, you can read the Bible. Ah, you got me there. 
And also, and our church is full of you, people will help you. There's a bunch of Bible studies. Tuesday night's got a great Bible study. Thursday morning, Thursday mid-morning. Um, we'll preach, like I said, we'll preach the Bible every Sunday. People will help you with the confusing parts. Usually when you say, I don't get the Bible, it could be legitimate, but oftentimes we use that as an excuse because we're lazy. You don't get it because you didn't try. If you're one of those people that like, oh, I tried reading the Bible and you were in a difficult portion, go to the book of John or any of the Gospels. Pretty straightforward, and you'll just read about Jesus. If you don't understand something, go on. You can ask somebody later, but just move forward. Or the book of James. I've read that one a bunch. It's really straightforward. You know, you're not loving people because you're selfish. <laughs> ah, I don't want to read this. <laughs> the Bible isn't as complicated as you might think. Second um, excuse or challenge is I don't have time. I would love to say that, but it's just not true. I have time for my phone. I have time for social media to find you guys some funny memes, that kind of stuff. Or I'm just too busy. I read a question this week that said, do you think God would call you to a life that's too busy to read his Bible? No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. But I also think, and it's been my experience, to not feel super guilty and feel like, oh, I got to now study the Bible for an hour. I think of the picture um, of the little boy giving his, his lunch to feed all these people. Give God five minutes a day. Just give him five minutes. Read the scripture for two or three. Pray about it for two or three and be done. At a minimum, just try that. It's not that much. We could all give five minutes and watch God multiply that little bit that you give him. And probably over time, you'll be like, oh, oh my gosh, I've spent 15 minutes here. I'm a theologian. <laughs> I don't have time. We do have time. We just choose to spend our time differently. Everybody has the same amount of time. Give God at least five minutes. Or show up at a Bible study and say, I don't feel like being here. I think this is a waste of time, but I got my soul here. I got my body here. So have, have at me. And watch, watch God do a lot of things in your, in your mind and in your life. And the last thing I want to leave us with is that word perspective. You know, I love science. My favorite, probably, sermon series I've ever preached here was the one where I taught about trees, 8-tree-1. I brought in a different tree branch, and I'd preach, I'd preach um, out of the Bible, but I'd get like a good five or ten minutes where I was a science professor talking about the redwood tree or the olive tree or the giant you know, date palm whacking some of you guys with this huge um, palm frond. I love science. Science is fabulous. You know, my dad was a scientist, a professor. Love, love, love it. But the bottom, and, and God loves us. He's given us a brain. He were made in his image. We are to study his creation. He reveals himself. It's called general revelation. God reveals who he is through science. You're only going to hear me say good things about science. But guess what? Here's the limiting thing about science is it's just our perspective. It's, it's all that we as humans can see, which is a lot. And he's given us a lot. But, you know, you can only see so much with our senses, with our abilities. And so science has limitations on it. We certainly can understand a ton about God from that. But this, God's word, is God's perspective. It has, he has an eternal perspective. He's telling us stuff we couldn't see or we couldn't know apart from him telling us, right? If God is really God, if he's really eternal, like never-ending, from this one to this one, and he's all-powerful, not if, since, he's all those things, 
and he went to this effort to tell us these things, we're going to get information here that we can't get from science alone. The reason I like that sermon series is because I got to take both. They go together. I don't see them in conflict. There's conflicts we don't understand. But let's not sell the word short. Let's not be, it's actually a, a stance of pride to, to look at the Bible and say, I don't think that's enough. You're saying no to God's perspective. Certainly, God calls us to wrestle, to use our minds, to struggle and say, I don't understand this about the Bible. Or how can the Bible be true? There's some very good, hard questions that we can wrestle with. God's all for us wrestling with those things. But we're not God. We can't take God's place and say, no, I know more than that. I know more than you, God. That's the definition of a fool. And we don't want to be foolish. It's good to wrestle, though. Don't hear me saying, just read this and believe it without ever thinking about it. God doesn't want us to do this. He wants us to wrestle. But realize, this is from God through people for us to learn and wrestle with. And that's the call this morning, to love God with all of our mind, certainly engage our minds, do the work, and see what he can teach us from Scripture. You simply can't get that anywhere else. You can't get God's perspective directly from anything anywhere else. Let's pray. God, first I want to say thank you for your word. There's so much in there for us. The more I study it, the more I'm amazed. So complicated, so intricate, but so simple. We, we make it more difficult oftentimes. Not only have you given us your word, you've given us your Holy Spirit. One of his jobs is to teach us to clarify, to open up the scriptures, to open up our eyes to life, to, to open up our eyes to what you're doing. We don't have excuses, but we do have invitations. You invite us to study. You invite us to question. You invite us to believe, to receive. And we're grateful. Forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us for our pride. We confess that. And thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace for rescuing that young guy Friday morning. That's a picture of you rescuing me in my ignorance, in my foolishness. So many times in life you've given me answers, direction. I've gone the other way. We love you and we need you. Amen. As we head into communion, we'll take communion this morning, I want to encourage us to do something a little um, unique. I want us to pause, and I'm going to give us a, like a time of silence. And it's a lot to hear this kind of stuff, and you're going to have kind of two reactions. One, I'm so grateful for what you've taught me in Scripture. I'm so grateful for opportunities or a regular habit you have reading Scripture. That's one thought that you should pray back to God. Another thought is the thought of conviction. I'm so deficient. I haven't taken advantage of your word. I'm convicted that I need to be in your word more. So I don't want to rush past and get into communion before just giving you an opportunity to sit there and think, not think, certainly think, but talk to God. Say, God, I need you. I've messed up here. Confess. Confession is always part of communion. 
and thank him for his word. And then I'd like you to take a third step. So confess, thank, and then commit. Say, I want to turn, I want to do this. Don't commit to, if you're, if you're not really in God's word, don't commit to an hour. Commit to five minutes. Say, I want to spend five minutes a day. That kind of thing. So just take a minute and then I'll lead us into communion. I just want us just to pause now and just kind of just talk to God with what you're, because he's been, I've been speaking, but he's speaking to your heart as, um, as I'm teaching. So go ahead and pause for a minute. Lord, thank you for our church, for the treat that I have to look at faces that care about you, that are open to your voice, that care about your scripture, that care about each other. May we continue to love one another. May we continue to love you with everything. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.